a new series called um, YA University. YA University, Life Lessons Learned, and we're pretty much just focusing on important and impactful lessons that we've all learned throughout our journey with Christ so far. And like Doug said, this is an intern series, and so you'll be hearing from myself, obviously. You'll be hearing from Luke, and you'll also be hearing from Whitney. And so we have just been praying about this. We love you guys. We've been praying for you, and we honestly believe that God's given each of us a word, um, just something that's really sat on our hearts that we've learned and we can share with you guys. And so um, that being said, the lesson that I'm going to share with you guys tonight can kind of be summarized with this statement. Why are you working? God is running. Why are you working? God's running. This has been such an incredible phrase and a theme that has just been played over and over and over again in my life. Um, why am I working? God is running. So before we get into it tonight, let's say a quick prayer. Um, God, we welcome you tonight. We thank you that you're here. We thank you for friends, we thank you for family, and I pray, God, that you show up tonight. I pray that you would use me, use my words, use my actions, use this message to impact somebody. And I pray that any good thing that happens tonight gets reflected back onto you because you're the giver of all good things, and you are amazing, and you're incredible. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so how many runners do I have in here? Anybody like to run? Raise your hand if you like to run. Come on. I hate every single one of y'all. No, for real, I hate running. I have a very, very, like, interesting relationship with running because I just don't do it. I don't do it at all. And um, growing up, I was a little bit pudgy. I think we have a picture of myself in fifth grade. Yeah, There he is. Yeah. And so growing up, I was always a little pudgy. And unfortunately for me, my house is located right by an elementary school, and there's a track that literally touches the back of my fence. I think we got a little picture. That's my house. That's Virginia, our most beautiful state in America. And that is the track that kind of comes around and touches my fence back there. And so, as this little pudgy kid, I would always be like waking up and eating breakfast and staring out at this track, and it would just be taunting me. <laughs> Make no mistake, I would pour a second bowl of Captain Crunch, but it would be taunting me as I would be eating my cereal. And so, if you know me at all, I'm kind of a man of extremes, and I just remember being a little kid and being like, alright, this weekend is going down. I'm going to run that track, and I'm going to be the most ripped fifth grader anybody has ever seen. And if you think about that, that looked a little weird. But um, So what I would do is I would lay out my shirt, and I would lay out my shorts, and I would lay out my shoes Friday night, and then Saturday, I would wake up right as the sun was coming up. I'd get everything laced up, and I would head out to that track. Didn't even need breakfast, so I'd head right out to that track. And I would start to run, and actually what I would do, I wouldn't run, I would walk jog. How many of y'all know what walk jogging is? Yeah! That's right. That's why I was running. It's when you're jogging, but you're jogging so slow you can literally walk faster than you can jog. I would walk jog around the track. And as I'm doing this, I would just be thinking like, man, Fred Flintstone was looking good on that box of fruity pebbles. I'd be walk jogging around the track and I'd be having like some, some cereal jingles in my head and I'd just be I'm like a quarter way around the track and I just think, man, I, I hate this. 
Like, I genuinely hate this. And I would actually run faster home to my house and to my kitchen to pour myself some pretty bubbles than I would around the track. Point in case, I hate to run. But I'm thankful we have a God that loves to run. I'm thankful we have a God who ran. Why are you working? God's running. All right, so tonight we're going to focus in on Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. And we're going to cover this very famous parable. I'm sure everybody in here has heard it. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And I know what you're probably thinking. Man, we have heard this hundreds of times. Like, why are we going to talk about this again? I honestly believe when we look at this parable, we kind of look at it in two different ways. But I think there's a more accurate way, a third way, that gives us a little clearer picture of what Jesus is talking about. The first way we tend to look at this parable is that we put ourselves in the place of the son and we make his disobedience the highlight. We make the son the star of the story. And while we are the son, I don't think that's necessarily the point Jesus is trying to get across. The second thing we do is we put ourselves in place of the father. We know that as Christians we need to be reaching out and running to people that don't know Jesus. And so we put ourselves in place of the father. However, there's a third way to look at this, and I think it will really shed some light on what Jesus is trying to say. While both the first two points are true, um, I think there's a better way, and I think it's simply this. You equal the Son, Jesus equals the Father, and Jesus is the point. You equal the Son, Jesus equals the Father, and Jesus is the point. And when we look at it through this lens, we can see that while we do relate to the Son, um, the father is the hero of this story. And here's a really cool thing about this. The actions of the father in this story reflect the gospel extremely, extremely well. I believe it honestly has the potential to not just change the way you view this the next time you read the parable, but it honestly has, has the potential to change the way you view the way God sees you. And so without further ado, let's read. We're going to read Luke 15, um, starting in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them, them are Pharisees that are kind of mad that he's hanging out with tax collectors and stuff like that. Um, Jesus told them, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this time, the money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods it was feeding the pigs with looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, and I want you, if you're following along in your Bible, your phone, I want you to highlight this. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Highlight this. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals on his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast, for this son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. 
He was lost, but now he's found. And so a party began. So we see in this story, we see the rebellion of the son. We see four reflections of the gospel Jesus is telling these people. And then we actually see how the son responds to this. Let's quickly go over the highlights or the lowlights of the son here before we kind of dive into the main, main point of this story, Jesus as the father. The son, in asking for his inheritance before his father died, was an outlandish thing. Basically, he was going to his father and saying, hey, I don't care about everything you've done for me. I really don't care about what you've provided so far. I literally just wish you would die and give me some money. And to us, like, we just think, oh, that's a really bratty thing to do. But in this culture, it was extremely serious. You see, this was much bigger. Honor and respect was much bigger in this culture than it is in ours. And so to this, this father wouldn't just feel wounded. He wouldn't have been like, oh, that kind of hurt. No, this son would have literally been considered dead to his father. Like, there would have been a separation from the family, and he would have been considered dead, not only to his father, but also to the village that he lived in. And it's interesting, if the son got this money and went away and came back, there was actually a ceremony called kizaza, and I'm positive I probably mispronounced that because that's like a, a Hebrew word, but there was a ceremony that would happen, and what, what they would do is they would bring these pots, and they would stand in front of the sun and smash it in front of him, symbolizing his death of the community, and then most scholars believe they would literally pick up rocks and stone him to death. And so we see, I want you to keep this in mind as we kind of continue out this theme here, we're not dealing with a disobedient kid. We're dealing with a dead one. We're dealing with a dead son here. All right. So now we're going to kind of lay the, we laid the foundation. Now we're going to kind of focus a little bit more on the star. We're going to focus on Jesus. We're going to focus on the father. Let's examine quickly here some of the actions of the father. Um, we're going to focus on verse 20. And it says this. So returning home to his father, while he was a long way off, the father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. The first thing I want to point out is this. The father saw the son while he was a long way off, and he was filled with compassion. I can kind of just picture this scenario in my head. It's, it's just a normal day. The son had been gone for a couple months, and it was just a normal day, and the dad woke up, and the servants had fixed breakfast, eggs, and some turkey bakings. They were Jewish, and they couldn't eat ham. And so... <laughs> It's just a normal day. He's just, he's just kind of in the front yard. He's just working. And, and off in the distance down the road, he sees this figure start to take shape. He sees this figure and he's stumbling around. And, and although he's weathered by sin and all this wild living, something inside of him realizes, hey, that's my boy. And so filled with compassion, while the son was still a long way off, he was filled with compassion and he ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. He gave him a robe and a ring. While he was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. Picture yourself in this moment. All of us have been there. We've all been a long way off. We've been stumbling up this road, trying to find our way home. And I'm sure we've all shared the same thought when we've given in to that thing that pulls our heart away from God. Man, God's mad at me. How, how, how would he forgive me this time? This is like my hundredth time. Literally, can he seriously forgive all this stupidity? 
But I love what it says here. While he was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. Honestly, if you could believe this, this could change everything about your reality. It doesn't say that after you've confessed and are made perfect, that the father sees you and is filled with compassion. It says, while you're a long way off, he sees you. And he's filled with compassion for you. And, and I want to take a minute and camp on this because a lot of times we like to make this a lot prettier than what it probably was. See, the son was full of wild living, and that can mean a lot. We know that he was broke, and he was in debt, and he was living with pigs. He probably had some bad guys looking for him. When I hear wild living, I probably think he was sexually promiscuous. He might have had uh, an STD. He might have had a kid out of wedlock that he didn't know he was the father of. He might have had markings in his arms from drugs that he'd been using. And you're like, why are you saying this? Because we like to think God sees us when our sin isn't that bad. But in our dirty, dark places, while we're a long way off, he sees us and he's filled with compassion for us. The second thing I want to point out here is this. The father ran to his son. Why are you working? God's running. Compelled by love, we see something amazing happen here. The father ran to his son. Almost every other religion in the world paints a picture of us having to strive for and run to God. But here we see the roles are completely reversed. We see a God who sees you while you're a long way off and has compassion for you and he runs to you. Y'all can, y'all can say amen. I'll receive that. Yeah, come on. Now, this would have made the Pharisees and the religious crowd extremely uncomfortable in this moment. See, for some reason in this culture, it was very disgraceful to show your ankles and your knees and your legs. And so, practically speaking, if this father was going to run to his son, he would have to hike up his tunic and bare his legs and book it down that street. And so when Jesus would be saying this, the Pharisees would just be like, oh, oh I don't like that. Like, that, that's disgraceful. That's shameful. But that's exactly what he did. And most scholars would believe and say that the father ran to his son because he knew what awaited his son if he got back to the village. So you don't forget, if the son returned, he was going to die. And so this wasn't necessarily this romantic thing. The father endured disgrace and ran to the son and met him outside the village because he knew what was happening. Why are you working? God's running. The second, second element of the gospel is we see God ran. John 1.1 and John 1.14 kind of give us this picture of God running to us. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I love that, grace and truth. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. God ran. Jesus is talking about the actions that he is taking here towards us. When God sent Jesus as an infant, a little eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus... Come on, y'all. Ricky Bobby. I love my Jesus as a little baby. That was more Elvis, but whatever. No, but here's the thing. He literally 
came to us. Jesus came to us. And this is what I love. Just like the father to the son in this story, God was under no obligation to come to us. The son was dead to the father. But while he was a long way off, the father saw him and filled with love and compassion, he ran to him. While we were a long way off, God ran to us. Jesus was born and he ran to us. Man, let me tell you something tonight. You might be neck deep in your mess and drowning. You might have no idea how you're going to make it out. You might have no idea how you're going to face tomorrow. Let me tell you something. God sees you right where you are. He sees you right where you are, and he is going to run to you. You don't have to do anything. You just have to let him run to you. God ran. Why are you working? God's running. We no longer have to chase after a savior. We have a savior chasing after us. Come on, somebody. I mean, I'm Pentecostal. Y'all can give me an amen if y'all want. The third element of the gospel we see here is the father embraces and kisses his son. I honestly believe this is one of the most powerful phrases in this story. You see, in this culture, a kiss represented closeness. And so while this crowd is gathering in front of the village gate with pots in one hand and stones in the other, the father embraces the son and he kisses him. And what he is saying to the crowd is, I'm bringing my son close to me again. And not only that, he embraces him. What he's doing here is not some affectionate hug, I missed you. He's holding him and protecting him from the stones that are about to be thrown at him by the villagers. The father embraces the son. While the son was a long way off, the father saw him. He was filled with compassion. He endured disgrace by running to him. And when he ran to him, he kissed him to bring him close. And he embraced him to say, I will take your pain. I will take your shame. I will take the wrath of the sin that you deserve. I will take it on myself. Guys, we just got done celebrating Easter And we all know what Easter's about. Jesus died. He was betrayed falsely. He was accused falsely. He had his beard torn out. People spit on him and slapped him and mocked him. And if that wasn't enough, he got nailed to a cross. God took the nails that I deserved. He embraced me when I was stumbling home. He embraced me in front of the village when I was stumbling home. And he said, Connor, I'll take your stones. I'll take your shame. I'll take the accusations upon myself. And he hung on a cross to embrace me and to kiss me. Let me tell you something. When you're a long way off, God sees you right where you are. And he is filled with compassion for you. And he will run to you. And he will embrace you in front of your accusers. The final element of the gospel we see is this. He gives his son a robe and a ring. I love that this story doesn't just end with an embrace. It ends with restoration. You see, if you remember, the son was supposed to be dead. The son was supposed to be dead to the father. He was supposed to be dead to the village. 
But in this culture, this, this is amazing. We're witnessing a resurrection. Jesus is talking to these people, and we're witnessing a resurrection of the son back into the family. You see, in this culture, robes represented righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 talks about how we are clothed with righteousness. When the father asked his servant to bring the finest robe in public, in front of the accusers, in front of the village, he is restoring the righteousness back to his son, in front of everybody. A ring in this culture symbolized authority and dignity. Think about what's happening here. A son who rebelled, who spit in the face of his father and left and was staggering home, was dead to his father. The father saw him while he was a long way off. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to him, embraced him, kissed him. And not only that, he restored his sonship with righteousness and a ring. He restored his dignity. God doesn't just forgive you. He restores you. God restores your righteousness. Man, why are you working? God's running. Man, you can come on up. This is kind of amazing, but what we're going to do now, after we see the aggressive love of the Father, we're going to look at the response of the Son. You see, even after the father has embraced the son, he's given him his robe, he's given him his ring, he's given him forgiveness. The son still feels like he has to barter for the love of the father. The offer to us is sonship, not slavery. Why are you working? God's running. The father saw him from a long way off. He ran to him filled with love and compassion. He embraced him in front of his accusers. And then he robed him with righteousness and put a ring on his finger. And all the son could say is, hey, I'm not worthy for that. I don't think you know what I just did. I just spent all your money. I just spent everything you gave me. And I'm coming back with nothing. All I want to do is be a slave. He said, no, you're my son. You're my son. So often the world paints Christianity to be slavery to an ancient book full of ancient writings and and well-intended, misguided ways to, to guide our naive life. So often we accept Christ in freedom, but over the days, the weeks, the months, and the years, We forget that we're sons and daughters and we become slaves. We forget Christ saw us while we're a long way off, that he ran to us, that he embraced us on the cross, that he robes us with righteousness and puts a ring of dignity on our finger. Over time, we lose our intimacy with God and we become his hired help. That's our nature, guys. That's our nature. Don't we feel like we have to bring some type of value to God to get him to love us? We feel riddled with 
guilt and shame because while we were a long way off, we couldn't do anything for ourselves. And while the Father saw us from a long way off, while he ran to us and embraced us, for some reason we think we got to say, hey, thank you, thank you for that, I'll work for you now. We fall into this sick and twisted mindset and we believe that our labor is righteous works and that our salary is salvation. No. We stop calling God Abba Father and we call him our employer. The son was going to his father that just resurrected him in front of his community of accusers and says, hey, I'll work for you. I'll work for you. No, man. He didn't die so that you could be a slave. He died so that you could be a son of a king. He died so that you could be a son and daughter of the creator of the universe. You are righteous. You are robed in righteousness. He has given you his ring and he will fight for your freedom. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Come on, man. It's for freedom that Christ set you free. You are not a slave. You are a son and you are a daughter. Man, are you tired of bartering for his love? I know I am. My life lesson that I'm telling you guys tonight is this, man. Why are you working? Why are you offering to work? God's running. Man, every time I fall, every time I stumble, there are times when I don't pray. There are times where I don't read my Bible because I don't feel like I'm worthy enough. Man, what am I thinking? He saw me. He ran to me. He embraced me. He clothed me with righteousness. He calls me his son. I am not a slave. I am a son of the king. Do you feel like a slave tonight? Do you feel like you have to work for God's love? Do you feel like you're a long way off tonight and that there's no way God could see you? Is it hard for you to believe that he would run to you? Is it hard for you to believe that he would embrace you? Or maybe you believe he might embrace you, but there's no way he would make you a son or a daughter. The offers never begrudging slavery. The offer sonship and daughtership. It's freedom. Are you tired of working for love? Are you tired of slavery? Are you ready to be free? Tonight we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do an altar call. And um, I know for some of you this might be different. This might seem a little weird. I promise you nobody's going to pray for you. Nobody's going to touch you. What I want to do is offer you a moment to step out and just say, God, I'm tired of being a slave. If you came in here tonight and you work for your righteousness, you're a slave. God never called you to that. God called you to sonship and daughtership, righteousness and dignity. When you are in the thick of your sin, he will run to you. Man, because he loves you. Listen, I'm not going to count. I'm not going to call or beg any of y'all to come up here. This is what I want you to do, man. If you feel in your heart that you've been a slave, if you feel in your heart that you're a slave to something, I want you to just start making your way up to the front right now. 
I don't care who's watching. I don't care who's looking. Let me tell you something. There's nothing magical about walking down to the front of the room, but I tell you, there's something spiritual about it. When, when Joshua and the priests parted the Jordan, they stepped forward into the water before it parted. When Abraham was called the father of many nations, he stepped forward before he even knew where he was going. When the father saw his son a long way off, he stepped forward and ran to his son. And while we were drenched in our sin, Jesus stepped forward into our world and ran to us. If you've been struggling with being a slave tonight, I want you to just come down in the front. You can spread out. I want you to have a private moment with the Lord. This time is for you. There's something about stepping out in front of your community, laying down your slavery, and picking up your sonship. And if you don't know Jesus tonight, if you don't know that there's a God who loves you so much, He sees you exactly where you are, that he would have compassion towards you, that he is helplessly, devotedly in love with you, that he would run to you no matter where you are. He would embrace you no matter what you've done. And no matter what, he would put a robe around you and a ring on your finger. If you don't know Jesus, but you would like to meet him tonight, tonight's your night. I want to invite you down to the front as well. I'm not going to count. If you don't know Jesus, I want you to come down to the front. We're going to pray in a minute. But let me tell you something. You're saying, dude, this is awkward. This is weird for me. Jesus can meet you right in your seat. But I promise you, the next time you have a struggle, you're going to remember the day you stood up and you walked down to the front. And that is going to be a pillar of strength for you. If you have never accepted Jesus into your life, man, he is fighting for you tonight. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he is fighting for you tonight. And his message is this. I see you where you are. I have compassion for you. I'm not mad at you. I have compassion for you and I will run to you and I will make you my son and I will make you my daughter. Guys, we're going to pray tonight and I don't want you to repeat after me. I just want you to echo this prayer in your own heart. Say whatever you need to. This is between you and God. None of my words can do anything for y'all, but the Holy Spirit can wreck you and make you a new person. It can take you from a slave to a son and a daughter. Let's pray tonight. Father God, we come before you. We are hopeless without you. But God, no matter where we are, you see us. We don't know why, but you love us. You see us when we're a long way off and you run to us. You embrace us. You hung on a cross for our sin and our shame. But you didn't just do that. You resurrected us. You gave us your robe. You gave us your ring and you made us righteous sons and daughters. God, tonight, we say we believe you. We confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and our King. And right now we lay down our slavery and we leave with sonship and daughtership. God, be glorified tonight. Be glorified tonight. We love you and we thank you for the lives you're changing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, guys, let's worship tonight.